Hey everyone, and welcome back to Bitcoin Magazine's Weekly Bits podcast. Our recap and analysis of the most consequential stories coming through the Bitcoin Magazine newsroom. I'm Peter Chihuahua, Senior Editor at Bitcoin Magazine, and this week I am joined from Toronto by the illustrious Christy Harkin, Managing Editor at Bitcoin Magazine. Christy really steers the ship at Bitcoin Magazine. She determines the content we will pursue. She recruits new writers and just generally sets the editorial tone. So thanks very much for joining me, Christy. How are you today? Doing dandy. Got a lot of sunshine up here. It's election day in Canada too. So everybody's, there's, there's a high level of excitement up here. Great. You got to do that uh, patriotic duty and good to hear the weather is nice for it. Um, maybe you could give a little bit more context than I did about uh, your role at Bitcoin Magazine. How long have you been kind of steering that editorial ship? It's uh, been about four years now. It's been a good long time. I was a writer first. Then I went and uh, helped start up another new site in the Bitcoin space. Then came back to Bitcoin Magazine after a year to essentially take over the uh, all the editorial duties at Bitcoin Magazine. And uh, the team has grown. I think there were about three of us looking after it when I first started. And now there's you, for example, <laughs> and some full-time writers. And yeah, it's been really great to see Bitcoin Magazine grow kind of move away from Bitcoin for a bit, but then sort of uh, steer the course back to Bitcoin. And uh, really, really happy that we're doing that. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I've always wanted to ask you, is there any difference? Is it the same? Could you say when you would be out in the world and meet a Bitcoiner, say, four years ago and talk to them about Bitcoin Magazine versus, you know, the most recent one you may have met, do you notice any difference or similarities over that time and, and, and kind of the Bitcoin community? Well, there are more of them. There are more Bitcoiners now than there were back then. Um, and I think more knowledgeable Bitcoiners than there were back then. Uh, a lot of the people that I met, um, for example, in the Toronto meetup scene uh, four or five years ago, they were a lot of them getting into it, um, just starting to ask questions. Um, whereas now when I meet people, there are still people who are coming in, but most of the people I meet seem to already be fairly entrenched or knowledgeable and, 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 and not just about Bitcoin, but about other cryptocurrencies. And they're always curious to ask, what is it about Bitcoin specifically that is so compelling or they're telling me why they think it is more compelling so that's been uh, that's been a big difference um in in the people that i've been meeting and they all know bitcoin magazine so that's heartening yeah that's always good to hear <laughs> cool uh so without uh, further ado i think we should jump into uh the stories we have on docket to discuss this week uh, the first story is on the homepage entitled uh, Signet could give Bitcoin a more stable, predictable testnet option. So we'll tackle that one first. Then we'll move on to our current cover story called Bitcoin as a savings technology. Are interest accounts worth the trade-offs? So jumping into that first story, Signet uh, could give Bitcoin a more stable, predictable testnet option. When I read that, I was really impressed by uh, the writer, Tony, and his ability to kind of uh, not skip any technical details, but really provide something 
digestible uh, and interesting for kind of a more casual Bitcoin reader. Uh, I was curious to ask where you found Tony and um, what your experiencing experience doing that kind of first round of editing with him was like. Well, I, just to start with, uh, Tony Sanek came to us, uh, essentially I just got an email from him. He'd been speaking with one of our other reporters and uh, was expressed an interest in writing for us, sent me an email. I read some of his stuff and I'm always looking for writers who are able to write about the technical side of Bitcoin with any sort of authority and understanding. And that is not an easy task. Um, and I'm, so I'm pretty open-minded when someone says, I want to write tech stories. Um, so Tony is also at Sanak, S-A-N-A-K, Tony on Twitter, if you want to follow him. Um, and fellow Canuck, he, uh, so he just sent me a draft. Um, we have, as many people know, the uh, very, very knowledgeable Aaron Van Beerdum, who is our technical writer and editor. Nothing gets past Aaron. <laughs> and no technical articles go on Bitcoin Magazine without passing the Aaron test. So whenever I have an article from a new writer that is technical in nature, it goes through several edits uh, usually with Aaron. Um, in this case, it also went th uh, through Cal, who uh, is a developer who knows all of this stuff. And he made sure we, we got it fact-checked, made sure everything made sense. He made a couple of tweaks to it. Um, we try at Bitcoin Magazine to make everything as accurate as possible. We like to get it right. So whenever we can get a fact check by somebody who knows even more than Aaron, and Aaron is the first person to say, I don't know something and ask questions, um, we, we, we make sure that happens. And Tony's the same way. He, he wanted it fact checked before he even gave me a draft. So uh, that was um, definitely something I appreciated in him as a writer. So yeah, super happy to have this article. And one of the things also that Bitcoin Magazine tries to do is give those technical articles that you don't find commonly elsewhere in the space. Um, I always say that I'm, I try to be the sort of technical idiot in the room. If it can, I'm not a very technical, uh, a tech savvy person. I understand a lot of it now from being in the industry. But generally, if it makes sense to me and it's explained in terms that I can get my head around, then I'm hopeful that the average Bitcoin reader will also have no problem understanding what it is that is being written about in a tech article. So the point is with these articles to make sure that they make sense, that they're correct, but that they also are approachable. And when you get to the end of it, you go, oh, I get it. That was the problem. This is the solution. Here's why we need this or why this is important. Definitely. And I think uh, for any listeners who haven't read it yet, this is a great example of, of that balance that we try to strike. Um, but always cool to hear kind of how the editorial sausage is made. Um, and I should have guessed Tony is Canadian because of just the high quality of the piece. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, what, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, we, we, we work on it. And, but like most Canadians, many, many Canadians, he came from elsewhere. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a, a first, not always a first language um, issue uh, writing style that a lot of writers have. And that's where editing comes in. And we can always make sure that everything's right. 
Uh, so Tony, uh, his article is, uh, it's about Signet, a proposed developer sandbox that would potentially be a more kind of uh, freewheeling and easier to use, um, essentially testnet for uh, Bitcoin developers. But of course, there already is a Bitcoin testnet um, that exists. In essence, it sort of mimics the Bitcoin mainnet but none of the coins that are produced have actual value. So it gives you a chance to test some things out without affecting real world assets or actual Bitcoin. Um, and so that's sort of the, uh, what exists, but also kind of the flaws that it has, why you might want something like Signet to uh, experiment more in a more free environment. Um, is that sort of your takeaway from that explanation as well, Christy? Yeah, sure. See, the thing with it, I, I, I like to think about um, a test net as being like a place where you send your first draft to be edited and tested out and fact checked. So a test net, the regular Bitcoin test net has that capability. Um, you don't want to screw up the actual Bitcoin main net. So you test it out elsewhere first in a, an environment that is um, isolated from Bitcoin. The problem with the, the test net that we have that exists right now um, that really operates like Bitcoin is it's also proof of work um, based, which means that people have to expend energy to mine coins, even though they have no value. So you're relying on volunteers to donate, if you like, their, um, uh, their resources to earn coins that are not worth anything worth as in you know in quotes it's worthwhile because anything that improves bitcoin is value is valuable um but it's it makes for an unpredictable and a less stable uh environment um then there's the regnet which is another sandboxed version of it where you don't have to deal with that kind of um test net those the the drawbacks of a test net um the irregularity of it or unpredictability of it um but it's it was it's sort of too isolated um there isn't and not enough people can kind of get in on it so the signet um offers sort of the best of both worlds it's there's total consensus centralization that you would get with regnet but it expands it to uh, a group of people who are able to test it so um but also, and it has like a faucet as opposed to um, ha like a proof of work thing where um, you're not going to have the reliability of, you know, oh my goodness, I hope somebody volunteers their resources to make this work um, from my understanding of it. So uh, Signet still relies on proof of work, but it's sort of like you're recruiting people to contribute specifically like with an M of N with key holders and um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's sort of managed. It's a centralized managed group uh, of, of testers. Yeah, I think that was a great summary, essentially, of what um, Tony was reporting on. But I think to dive a little bit deeper, um, one thing I noticed was, you know, this is one of a couple stories we've done recently that are focused on projects that would make Bitcoin development a little bit easier or um, sort of either easier or just encourage more Bitcoin development. And that sort of makes me curious about what the world would look like if Bitcoin development was more prevalent, if those developers who work on Bitcoin were able to do so, so faster, more effectively, more creatively, or if just generally more developers 
um, you know, were able to contribute to Bitcoin. Is that something that came to your mind at all when editing or, or, uh, yeah, this is, um, and actually it's also a topic that, uh, one of our writers, Vlad Costia wrote about in another article, another cover story we did a couple weeks ago called what will Bitcoin development look like after hyper Bitcoinization? Um, the idea of having developers who are incentivized and rewarded to to work on bitcoin um that's something that has been in the years that i've been in bitcoin um that's a refrain i've heard often from various developers i think one of the first consensus uh conferences that i went to um eric lombroso gave a, a bit of a fireside chatter um one of those side uh, lectures um, about the need for more developers and for rewarding developers or incentivizing them to work on Bitcoin because everybody wants to and since early days this was a big problem everybody wanted to build on Bitcoin everybody wanted to use Bitcoin and use the protocol for a million different uses um, but there weren't enough people actually working on the protocol itself to enable businesses and other uh, you know apps and developers to actually build on top of it and then they'd complain you know oh there's block bloat oh there's uh you know not enough uh, um bandwidth on the on block and i mean and this is where ethereum came in this is this was what was for people were talking about when ethereum first started was well bitcoin can't handle all of this work that we want to do on it. Let's try something else and take a bit of the pressure off of the Bitcoin blockchain and put smart contracts over here, for example. Um, that was a when I was, you know, in the offices listening to the beginnings of Ethereum. That was a lot of the discussion that I heard at the time. Um, so having these different um, suggestions uh, that can be added to Bitcoin. Um, that enable developers to work on it more easily because a lot of these people are doing it, not everybody, I know that, but a lot of developers are just volunteering their time because they believe in the project. But let's make it easier for them to contribute. Let's, I'm not saying we lower standards, of course, but anything like this Signet that enables development and high standards and, um, peer review and helps to move things along in the process, that's better for Bitcoin. Everybody, you know, people complain, oh, we don't, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that. Everyone's been talking about the, you know, the, the Bitcoin cup of coffee. Well, hey, we've got lightning started. Let's make sure that develops. Let's make sure that those channels get bigger, however that's gonna happen. Let's make sure that the people who really are working for Bitcoin have the tools that they need in order to accomplish all those goals that not only they have, but that the community keeps setting as well. We want this, we want that. Well, okay, let's make it easier uh, for developers to get it, get that work done. Yeah, and I think quickly, uh, the only thing I'd add is, and, and you acknowledge this, there's sort of this devil's advocate argument that, uh, De more development would be great, but high quality development is really important. There should be yep. nothing that's so easy about the development that, uh, you know, changes get made or sort of the, the quality gets diluted at all. Well, that's the thing with consensus, right? You have to have consensus. Everybody's got to agree. And that's a really high standard. That's a huge standard to have to meet. And it should be. I mean, it has to be that way if we're going to keep Bitcoin stable. 
but anything we can do to reach that consensus more readily and safely is that that's only going to help. Yep. And uh, one thing I've got to ask here while I have an editor in the, uh, on the podcast with me is uh, sometimes I think about uh, development becoming easier. And you even alluded to this when I was asking about how kind of the, the Bitcoiners you speak with have changed. Uh, I feel like they become a little bit more savvy as the um, barrier to entry for development uh, maybe decreases a little bit. Um, people are going to have a more voracious appetite for the technical kind of writing that Tony's doing, the Bitcoin development focused coverage that we have a lot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, people are interested in it. And I think that, I think it's also a matter of if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. um, I think that people don't know that they want to read technical stuff until it's offered to them. I know that's my outlook. I love reading, even though I am not a techie person, I'm from the world of children's book publishing. This, you know, it's been five years, but I'm learning all the time. And the more I, I read about the technical side of things, the more interesting the whole space becomes. And you become less interested in orange coin go up stories. It's the, it really is the, um, the technical and the social aspect of Bitcoin that is fascinating to me at least. Um, and I think the more we offer those stories to our readers, the more into it they'll be. Great. Uh, so anything else about uh, Signet or that story before we move on here? Well, I'd just like to say if there's anybody listening to this who feels that they've got technical writing contributions that they'd like to make, they should definitely get in touch with me at Christy at BitcoinMagazine.com. Yeah, that's right. Any listeners who are saying, well, I know where the good uh, technical content is, uh, we're always looking for that. So please reach out. Absolutely. Awesome. So the other story I have uh, on our docket to discuss here, it's uh, currently the cover story on our homepage. It's called Bitcoin as a Savings Technology. Are interest accounts worth the trade-offs? Um, so I think it's interesting to discuss this one right after Tony's more technically focused article, because it's sort of, I think, two of the great areas of coverage that Bitcoin Magazine is really best at. The sort of hardcore technical coverage and then the kind of uh, institutional adoption financial side. I mean, in a large part, that those are kind of the two sides of Bitcoin um, that are most prevalent. And so I think it's interesting to kind of do these stories back to back. But I'd ask you, Christy, to start as sort of the uh, editorial guide at Bitcoin Magazine. What was sort of the original impetus behind doing this story and, and how did it come about? Well, Bitcoiners are... Uh, really into the whole hodling thing right now, which is, you know, it's great. And Bitcoin as a store of value is part of the narrative. Um, and there has been a trend we've noticed recently. And, you know, I, I get, you know, press releases or notices or it's on Twitter about companies that are adding Bitcoin savings uh, products to their portfolios or that's their whole reason for existence. Um, and we were thinking about how this ha is sort of a double-edged sword, or maybe not a sword, but basket of flowers, shall we say. Um, you know, holding, holding your Bitcoin is absolutely a thing. 
that Bitcoiners are right into, maximalists are right into, um, because Bitcoin is touted as a store of value. Savings accounts are a legacy idea, you know, put your money to work for you. And of late, uh, as Colin in his article points out, and I myself have experienced, though I'm a good deal older than him, uh, I remember when savings actually gave you something, a savings account contributed a little bit. It's not much back in the day even then, but certainly not much now, if anything, especially in the, in the uh, era of negative interest rates. So we decided we'd look at a few ways that people can earn interest on their Bitcoin savings as they're hodling it. Now, does that work for all Bitcoiners? Yeah, not so much because of course you're going to be handing your keys off to somebody else to hold on to your Bitcoin and do what they will with your Bitcoin. And who knows, as Charlie Shrem points out, whether some regulator is going to suddenly freeze all the assets with that company that has the, has the, uh, the savings for you. So, I mean, of course, one would hope not, and I'm sure there's been every precaution taken, but it's an unpredictable industry. Um, so we decided we acknowledge the scary side of the handing key, your keys over to somebody, um, and then look at what products are offered in case anybody's interested, the upside and the downside to doing something like that. Yeah, and that's always, I think, a tough balance editorially for us um, because the community is so passionate and there are almost a, always at least two sides to you know every story like this and so all you can do and I think Colin did a great job writing it um, is sort of acknowledge both sides of the argument and then as you say if you are interested in these services you know this is uh, kind of a down the middle and fair explanation of, of what they're like um, that in the, at the end of the day, you're the one, and this is the glorious thing about Bitcoin, um, it's up to you. It's entirely your choice. You are responsible for your keys. Who you decide to entrust them to is up to you. And so the, the best thing, the only thing we can really do is present the facts as we see them. And you, as an intelligent Bitcoiner, can make that decision on your own. You are free to make that decision. So that being acknowledged, I'll have to ask you, Christy, the million dollar question, which is where do you come down on the balance between custody and interest? That really was the kind of, you know, guiding question informing the, this article. Um, yeah, it's, it's not for me. <laughs> it's not for me. I'm perfectly happy uh, to hold on to my own keys and not worry about where they are for the sake of 8% interest, 6% interest. Do I really feel like handing off my keys to somebody? Not really. Um, the only time, and this is an, this is an area we're going to get into later, uh, in another, in a subsequent article in a, this is sort of the beginning of one of this, one of the articles that we plan to do in this vein in a future article. Um, we're going to look at places that you can loan your money, you can uh, make interest on your Bitcoin, but also in a sort of altruistic way. I mean, granted, you are making money, you're going to make interest. <laughs> but on the other hand, you're also providing uh, funds, uh, loans to uh, people who are unbanked, for example, 
or in areas of the world where interest rates are 60% through normal legacy venues, but by loaning them uh, Bitcoin, you're making a decent rate of return, but it's half the rate of return or that or half the interest rate that's being charged by other companies. So there are ways and, and see, I'd be interested in that as a way of um, sort of contributing to the social good and still be rewarded for it. Uh, that is more interesting to me than a straight up, I deposit my Bitcoin with somebody else and I make a flat rate of interest. Mm -hmm. There's a little more risk when you're loaning it to people that you don't know. And again, that's a risk reward uh, sort of evaluation that you have to make for yourself. Maybe it's only $60 worth. Maybe it's only $100 worth. Um, and you have to then also think of it in terms of what can you afford to lose? It's a bit of a gamble. Um, but on the other hand, from what I've been reading about many of these companies, because it's reputation-based, <clears throat> uh, their rate of uh, default is extremely low. It, it, I, see, I find that a little more interesting than just straight up earning interest. But for now, I, I, my, my keys are all in my possession. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say I'm with you, but you know, looking into this article and reviewing it, um, looking at the services um, and wondering kind of, well, first of all, you know, as Colin reports, they seem to be growing. So there's certainly some people yeah. out there who are interested in this option. It's always exciting to sort of get something for essentially nothing except mm -hmm. risk. And right. to decide, is that risk worth it? Um, and, and I think that is definitely, it's a definitely a, a thing that people are interested in. And again, it's another, when you have these companies in the blockchain or in the Bitcoin space, um, it's one more part of the Bitcoin infrastructure, you know, business infrastructure that, is growing the community and we need these kinds of businesses to take these kinds of risks and, and make these opportunities available to people especially because it does sound like something that people are already familiar with it's like well my money can grow in an account in a bank or my bitcoin can grow in an account with blockfi or celsius or bitleaks like there's there's something that they recognize and that can only help with adoption i think yeah, so I think coming from the two of us, two people who uh, want to, you know, hold on to our keys ourselves, we're, you know, cheering for services like this to grow and more than happy to, uh, you know, encourage those people who think it is right for them to, to check out the article, check out these services and, and, you know, consider doing it. Yep. And ultimately, like I said, it's your, your Bitcoin, your choice, and you're free to do what you want with it and give it a shot if you want. That's right. This is not financial advice. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> None of this is financial advice. Great. Uh, so is there anything else about that cover story, that coverage I didn't ask about that, you know, you had thoughts on? No, I think that the, uh, I think that we covered most of it. Um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to doing the next couple in the series. So uh, take a, you know, keep an eye open for those when they come up. Um, and also suggestions are welcome. Uh, if we left off a company that you think should be on there, you know, that, that's something we can always update or look into for a future article. Um, and again, if you have any suggestions for those future stories of companies that, you know, you can act as a lender, which is one of the, again, one of the uh, 
one of the articles we're going to do is how to borrow money and where to borrow, where to lend it if you want an interest rate like directed lending that's something that is really interesting and again speaks to the whole side of the bitcoin of reaching out to people who are uh, left out of the regular system of banking and economics thank you very much christy for joining me on this week's episode i'll let you get back to your uh, busy schedule of editing and i guess voting out there in canada oh uh, i already walked to the polling station and back in this beautiful weather so it's all good all right. Awesome. And so until next time, thanks very much for joining us, Christy. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine's Weekly Bits podcast, a BTC media podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. It was produced and edited by Graham Peterson and Dave Hollerith and hosted by me, Peter Chihuahua. I want to thank Christy for joining me and to thank all of you for listening. If you're interested in reading the stories we discussed or others like them, check out our homepage at BitcoinMagazine.com and follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. You can find more engaging crypto podcasts over at Let'sTalkBitcoin.com and can follow them on Twitter at the LTV network for all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the show on the Apple podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got the time, please leave us a review. It really helps us improve the show and reach new listeners. Thanks for tuning in guys. And we'll see you next week. Bitcoin.